I want to try to come at a question that I think is a frequently asked question among Christians. And it really ties into a very large topic. I'm not going to get into that, although I have on three other occasions. And the topic that I'm alluding to that I'm not going to get into exhaustively tonight, I'm trying to convince myself, is predestination versus free will. We've had extensive teachings, and, and you've been to those, I'm sure, on predestination. But I just want to talk for a little bit about God's will. I think one of my nephews asked one of my brothers, and we were, got into a conversation about God's will. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about God's will. It's actually one of, that, one of those phrases that really represents fellowship jargon. And I, I love it, but it can start to lose its meaning before too long. We talk about God's will all the time. Well, if it's God's will, well, is that God's will? Well, I hope it's God's will. Now, I know there's a couple people named Will, and I think you're God's will too, but <laughs> we're talking about another kind of will. And one of the questions is, if God has a will, is that will incontrovertible? Can we violate that will? What if that will is for you personally? What if God chooses that something should happen in your life? Can you violate his will? Absolutely. You notice that the yeses reduced greatly in volume on the second question because it, is, it does raise questions for us. We know that God is sovereign. We know that he is all-powerful and he is all-loving. And yet we see places where he does not use his all-powerfulness to impose his all-lovingness on us. And it confuses us. I think it was Lee Strobel told about, wrote about a study that was done back 20 years ago and they, they asked a broad spectrum of university students from across the country, if you had an audience with God and could ask him one question, what would it be? And it was basically what I just presented to you. Why don't you use your all-powerfulness to impose your all-lovingness on us? My terminology. But they said, how can there be a God of complete mercy and love and also power and capacity and there also be a world where the innocent suffer? People can accept that when someone is judged, there's a certain justice in that. When someone suffers pain for doing evil, that's somewhat expected in our world where the law of compensation is at work. But if you see a child or even an animal groaning under the curse of sin, it can be confusing to us. In short, we have to recognize that God while he was still speaking with Adam and Eve, while they were still in the Garden of Eden, God put all of creation under their dominion. And then he rested, not meaning he took a nap, but meaning he acquiesced. He ceased to play 
this constant interventionary role in the creation that he had set in motion. When God gives something to us, he cannot forcibly take it back. That would be to deny himself, his justice. If you give someone a gift, if you give someone a really nice watch or a really cheap one like this, and, and it meant something to you, and you watch them sliding under vehicles and scraping it along the ground and ruining the face of that watch, it hurts you, doesn't it? It says, <clears throat> the treatment of the gift that I gave you speaks to how you feel about me. But can you then go walking up and take it off their wrist and say, well, thank you, I'm taking this back. Well, you might be very much inclined to, but you're not supposed to be able to do that, right? You give someone something, you take your hands off, you rest from it. And so God did with the world. And we know from Paul that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, without repentance. The gifts and callings of God. When God blesses a people with his gifts, they're blessed. It's up to them what they're going to do with that blessing. You look at the, the, the family of Jewish people throughout the world. They make up less than 1% of the world's population and they account for over 13% of the world's high achievement awards. Whether in literature, art, science, etc. Whatever the case may be. Music. Amen? What is this disproportionality that I perceive? 1% getting 13%? That means they're doing a lot better than the rest of us. But it's because he said, whoever blesses you, I will bless. And whoever curses you, I will curse. I want to make you a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so we can see people mightily gifted of God, mightily blessed of God in this family. But we can also see people who were blessed with these irrevocable gifts and who use those gifts in corruptive, dangerous ways. Karl Marx was a Jew. He influenced the world as much as any man in his century. He probably has influenced the world more than any man in his century. Uh, Leon Trotsky was Jewish. There you can find people, whether in, in great uh, positions of art or science or, or uh, medicine, you name it, you, uh, music, the, the list goes on and on and on and on. But they can do with those gifts what they choose because God has also given us a free will. And so somebody says, well, what is God's will for my life? Do we know God's heart for mankind in general? Do we know it? Who's got their Bible here tonight? Brother Nat, Jeremiah 29, 11. Brother Jed, John 6, 38 through 39. Brother Grady, John 7, 17. Brother Daniel, Titus 2, 11. Brother Mark, 1 Timothy 2, 4. Isaac, 2 Peter 3, 9. Josh, John 5, 4. 
Amen. We want to know what does the Bible tell us about God's will for mankind in general? Who has Jeremiah 29 11? Stand and speak it, please. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says Yahweh, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and hope. He is speaking to a people that he is about to bring judgment on. And yet he says to them, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God says to his people. I know the plans I've got for you. They're not secret surprises of devastation. God loves his people. God loves all people. We know that Jesus says he did not pray for the world, but for those whom God would give him out of the world. But why did Jesus come and die on the cross? Because God so hated the world that when he almost killed us all, his only begotten son intervened and took it, absorbed God's wrath in his own body. Is that what the Bible teaches us? It teaches us that God was in hatred with the world, therefore his son had to intervene. Is that what it teaches us? No, it says God so loved the world that he released, he gave his only begotten son. It speaks of the preciousness of Jesus to God in way, by way of demonstrating the magnitude of his love for us that he would be so concerned and loving toward we lost people that he would give up his only begotten son. The one who is well pleasing to him, who always do, does the things that are pleasing in his sight. He was willing to give up his greatest treasure, the man Christ Jesus, so that we might know his love and in knowing it, his salvation. So what are the plans of God? Plans of calamity or hope? Hope. John 6, 38 through 39. What is the will of God? Jesus is speaking here. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I was nothing, but raise it up on the last day. So he makes it pretty clear what the will of God is. He says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Of all whom he has given me, I should lose none, but raise it up on the last day. Did he lose none? Yes, he did. He lost the son of perdition. I have lost, of all whom you have given me, Father, I have lost none except the son of perdition. Judas was not always lost. He was found and then he was lost. He violated God's will. What determines whether we can know the plans that God has for us and inherit the salvation that he is offering to us. What is the determining factor? Well, we say first and foremost, grace is the determining factor. But once we have received grace, then what is the determining factor? Your will, your choice is the determining factor. John 7, verse 17. This is Jesus speaking to the multitudes who are rejecting him, specifically to the Pharisees. Listen and read loud. If anyone is willing to do God's will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is 
So you can't even know about the teaching until you engage your choice to be willing. Do you understand? God's plans are good, but you've got to be willing. You can't sit there like a passive little pile of rocks hoping that he can come and energize you into something more. You were made in the image of God. You have the capacity for creativity and for response. You have the capacity for emotion and for love. You have the capacity to choose, to set a course that you will be responsible for. So he says, if you'll be willing, then the power contained in the word of revelation will be revealed to you. But if you're not willing and the word is not effective in your life, it's nobody's fault but yours. Titus 2.11, the grace of God, some will tell you that the grace of God does not appear to everybody, that it only appears to a handful. Amen. They call this limited atonement that God's saving grace only comes to a few, but to whomever it comes, they cannot resist it. They call it irresistible grace. Do we believe in limited atonement? Well, we certainly believe that a few are going to be, atone, are going to be saved, but do we believe that Jesus' sacrifice was only good for a few? What about 1 John 2? He himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction of our sins, and not of ours only, but those of the whole world. Does that mean the whole world is saved? No. But the difference between this sacrifice that is sufficient for the whole world and those who are not going to be saved is your will. If you are willing, then you're going to know. And if you're unwilling, you'll never, you're, you'll never know. But it's nobody's fault but yours. What about Titus 2.11? Does it speak of irresistible grace or limited grace? Who has that? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. The saving grace of God has appeared to whom? All men. His sacrifice is not only for the sins of the church, but the whole world. And the saving grace of God is available to all men. But some will not be taught by it. It teaches us to say no, but some say, I'll say yes. That is their choice, and God will let them have their way. 1 Timothy 2, 4, speaking of God. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He does not desire a few to be saved and the rest to go to hell. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It is his will. Amen. That's what he said. This is the will of him who sent me. You say, well, but Jesus said of those whom you have given me. We're going to get into that momentarily. First Peter, or, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 3, 9. Who has that? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is not slack or slow about his promise, as some consider slowness. But God is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is not equivocal. 
It is not left in doubt. It is unequivocal. He knows the plans he has for us, and he's made those plans known to us. None should perish, but all should come to the truth. That's God's will. But our will is in conflict with God's will. People also have a free will. You get to make your own choice, and that's the problem. Who has John 5 and 40? But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Amen. You are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Life is here for you. Get off your seat and get it. Jesus is saying to them, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but they are those which speak of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Let's everybody look in your Bible at John 1, 12. Very familiar passage. Look at the inclusive language in this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right the authority, the power, the exousia to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now I want you to keep your finger in that place, and I want you to flip over to Matthew 7, verse 8. As many as received him, received him. You say, well, he doesn't let many people receive him. This same word received is used in Matthew 7, 8. Let's read it here. Jesus is speaking. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be Opened And what is the door? I am the door. Everyone who asks receives. And whoever receives him, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God. Jesus said to, in the third chapter of John, he says, If you believe not, you are condemned already. What does this word condemned mean? What is the meaning of it? Often translated in the King James Version more bluntly and accurately than we use it in the other translations. What does this word condemned mean? Damned. It means you're damned. You are under eternal judgment. Now, I want you to listen. If you believe not, you are already condemned. He says, I did not come to, to condemn the world. The world was condemned before it sinned. There was a category called righteous inheritors of life right over here in this category. And then there was this empty category over here surrounding the tree of knowledge and it was called condemned heirs of death. And the Lord said to the men, to the man and the woman in the category that was heir to salvation, he said, if you'll do what's right, if you'll obey my word, you're going to have life. But if you walk over here by your own choices and crawl into this category of disobedience, this category is already condemned. Do you see 
that there is predestination represented in these two categories before man ever makes a move. Category one, eternal life. Category two, damnation. If you believe not, you're already condemned. Jesus said, I don't have to do it. You're already condemned. All you got to do is nothing. All you got to do is sit in your unbelief, suppress the truth and unrighteousness, feel and hear the word that comes by hearing and the faith that should come with that hearing and not respond in faith and you're condemned already. All you got to do is nothing and you're condemned already. But he says, if you'll believe, if you'll receive him, and how do you receive him? Everyone who asks receives. This is not limited access. This is unlimited, universal access. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, lo, you who thirst, come to the waters and drink. Whosoever will, and I will grant that you find the life that was supposed to be in this category over here. You will drink of the waters of life and of the tree of life. Amen. It's completely and totally up to you. You say, really? So God, it's not a response to grace? Well, of course it is. God grants us repentance. How does he do so? He presents us with truth. He presents us with grace. And to whom has this presentation been made? The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Everybody. There is a, there is a, a Sikh down at the gas station who is starting to pray to the unknown God who he doesn't have a name for. And I'm telling you that God is already listening and already orchestrating his path and opening doors for him that are unbelievable. There have been people who we personally have met who were in India, had no knowledge of Christ at all, and instead had a dream. And in the dream, they saw Jesus coming to them and saying, believe on me and be baptized. And they were baptized. This grace is available to everyone. We know that whoever works righteousness in all the nations are accepted by you. Cornelius is a righteous man and he's accepted by God, but this grace has not been fully manifest to him yet. So God sends an angel and says, go ask for a man named Peter. God can orchestrate your salvation if you'll just humble yourself and receive his grace. No matter where you're from, any tribe or nation, it doesn't matter. You can find this grace for it has appeared to all men. Who receives? Everyone who asks. If they have not received, it is because they will not come to him because they're unwilling. If they would be willing, they would know concerning the doctrine. What about Jesus' lamentation over Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to her, how often I wanted, God is speaking, I wanted. God is speaking of his will and wants being thwarted. Will they be thwarted in an ultimate sense? No. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. 
Hitler will crawl from his ashes of hell and stumble to his knees and say, Yeshua is Lord. It won't be a saving moment, but it will happen. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. The question is whether they're going to do it in a time when he may be found, when he is calling upon them, when he is moving upon them, when there is grace for change. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but, but you were not willing. God will not transgress your will. These proponents of irresistible grace incontrovertible will, they say, they give you an image of Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and kick it in. But is that the image that we get in Revelations? Behold, I stand and make a sound outside your will, but one which you can hear, and it's your choice to get up and open the latch and say, come on in, Lord Jesus. I want it to be more than an appearance. I want it to be a relationship of grace. Somebody says, well, if God knows the end from the beginning, how do I have any choice in the matter? Well, that's a good question. The Bible teaches us, I am Yahweh and I change not. Malachi 3.6, right? Numbers 23.19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. God has said, and he will do. He has spoken. Will he not make it good? So is the Lord a changing God? That's really a, quick, a trick question. Because in the sense in which Malachi is speaking of it, absolutely not. He is not a changing God. God does not have flexibility. God is inflexible. But when he has spoken and revealed his inflexible judgment on a man or a woman, is that judgment unavoidable? Yes, because men are flexible. The plasticity of human will is infinite. You can change. You can be different. So when God says this is going to happen, it's going to happen to the part of you that is condemned already. And you're either going to leave that part in hell and abandon your old man to live with Jesus over in this part, or you're going to be drugged down with that part. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are obstinate. Now let me alone. The Lord says to a man, let me alone. It's as if men can grab hold of the garments of God and through prayer and intercession and say, no, God, no, Lord. We won't let you go until you bless us. We won't let you go until you relent. We won't let you go until you heal us, until you help us, until you change us, until you get us from this category of condemnation already into this category of the predestination of the sons of God. 
The Lord says to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. Does Abraham not cling to the Lord? Does Abraham not retain the Lord in his bargain over Sodom? Lord, if there are a hundred righteous, a thousand, a hundred, ten, thirty, ten, until finally Abraham releases it. We see the principle already at work in the world of whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We know he's speaking of the Lord as the angel that went before them, the one I've put my name in, the, the ones who are there to minister to the heirs of salvation. Amen. But through prayer, it is possible in some cases for men to intercede with such love, with such persistence, that they would retain the wrath of God from being released in the world. He says, I have remembered, I have rescued Lot because I remembered Abraham. The city wasn't spared, but the handful of half-righteous people were, are righteous as the, the, the Bible calls them. Then Moses he says, let me alone that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. I will make of you a great nation. He uses his good standing with God, his favor with the Elohim, and he intercedes. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land of which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he was to do to the people. But who makes the changing really? It's Moses. Moses becomes the kind of man who can change the people to get them by God's grace from this category into that category. It is the flexibility of human will that can change the destiny that we ultimately choose for ourselves. Look at this one. How many of you are familiar with the story of Jonah? What did the Lord say to Jonah? Go to Nineveh, that great city, and prophesy against it and tell it it will be destroyed. Jonah 3, verse 4, Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. This is the city of Mosul in Iraq. It was the greatest city. It was the largest, most powerful city sitting at the, at the uh, juncture of, of, of the two great rivers and at the largest, most modern highway of the day had been built through that city. It was the praise of all the, all the world of that region, Nineveh. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Was he speaking the truth? Nineveh will be overthrown. Was that truth going to come to pass? 
Yes, but it was all either going to come to pass by them being catapulted into this category of judgment or it was going to come to pass by them overthrowing Nineveh and its sin by their own repentance and coming back to God. It was going to be overthrown one way or the other. Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. The Nineveh that God has destined for destruction is not the Nineveh that's going to be here in three days' time. People can change. People can become different. People can get themselves out of the category that is condemned already and into the category that is blessed already. You can change. If you were to see in the mind of God, some of you would see that a judgment is heading your way. That if you stay the course and walk down to the end of this road, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Your life is going to be destroyed. But God is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering towards you, waiting for you to walk from this category to this category. It is you that can make the difference. The king issued a proclamation and it said, In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let them call on God earnestly. In the day you seek him with all your heart, he will be found by you. You can get yourself out of the place that is destined for destruction and into the place that is destined for glory. It's your choice. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let them call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way. Paul said if we would judge ourselves now, we would not be judged. The destruction of Nineveh is in this decree of the king. And the king of your own little existence, your will, your heart, is going to make a decision. And you're going to say, I'm bringing down Nineveh tonight. I'm starting the process of its dismantling, and in three days' time, it ain't going to be standing anymore. Amen? Or you say, mm, well, I don't know. And then you're condemned already. Let, let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity. They beat judgment to the punch. They made the change with their broken spirit and a contrite heart so the change didn't have to come through the rod of judgment. When God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, 
He relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And Jonah got mad. Jonah was mad. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? We didn't know what he said until now. He was afraid to tell people they were going to be destroyed and look like a fool in their eyes because he knew, he knew what kind of God we serve. He knew how predictable God's mercy was and he was afraid that they were going to repent and he would look like the dummy. So he challenges God. Just the kind of prayer you want somebody praying over you. Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. Yeah, and you ended up in the belly of a fish. Go back to fish puke, Jonah. But we're staying here with the mercy of God. For I knew, this is his indictment against God. I knew you to be a gracious and compassionate God. And the Lord says, guilty is charged. Get out of my way, Jonah. I came to seek and save that which was lost. I knew you to be a gracious and compassionate God. Slow, as some count slowness like Jonah. Slow to anger. Abundant and loving kindness. And one who relents concerning calamity. We don't know how many judgments our obedience has already forestalled. And some people can become complacent in that and say, ah, all things will continue as they have since the fathers fell asleep. No, he is just giving you time to change. He is just giving you time to walk from this category called destined to destruction to this one called destined for glory. It's up to you. Second Kings 20 and 1, in those days, Hezekiah... He was facing a terrible battle. Sennacherib was on every side, trouble. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. This is a word from God. But it's, for the, it's a word for Isaiah, it's a word for Hezekiah in his current condition. Do you understand? There is not any word yet for the Hezekiah in the condition that he is going to reach by the end of tonight. And there's a judgment for the man in your current condition. But there is a promise for the man in the condition that you might just reach tonight. It is up to you to change the course of your life, to find a different grace than the curse that you've been living under. Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. What a blunt, hard word recorded two times in the Bible. Good afternoon, king. You will die and not live. What gets me is that Isaiah had the humility and the dependency on God to walk into the court of the king and tell him the truth and not add anything and just walk out. 
But Hezekiah, he didn't say, well, it's decreed. Predestinationalism is just one step away from fatalism. Amen? Hezekiah didn't go, well, you heard it. I'm a loser. I'm, I'm a goner. I'm going to die anyway. That's what the baby says. That's what Cain says. That's what the pouting nimkampoop says, who forgets that he was made in the image of God. And that with every word comes a choice. And with every choice comes a change in destiny. Hezekiah didn't say that. It says that he turned, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed. I know I heard your word tonight, God. I know I saw what a creep I am. But I am going to pray. Because I know everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks doors of opportunity and change open to them. Then, I, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to Yahweh, saying, Remember now, O Yahweh, I beseech you how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court the word of the Lord came to him. The Lord is not slow concerning his promises. The messenger of judgment can't even get to the middle court and the word falls on Isaiah again. Before Isaiah had gotten to the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him again saying, return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says Yahweh, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of Yahweh. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own namesake and for the sake of my servant David. There were people along the way, Hezekiah, who clung to my garment, even as you are right now. And amen, you turned me around before I could get out of the courtyard. Everything's different because you're a different man than got that edict a minute ago. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. He said, and this will be a sign to you tomorrow about this time. The sun will go back 10 steps. There was something about this guy. He got a hold of God with such a power that the whole matrix of the universe took a hiccup. Do you know that all 19 civilizations of the world that were making record of astro astrological events in space, from the Mayans to the Aztecs to the ancient Chinese, all over 19 civilizations, all have in their histories the record of a day when a man turned his face to the wall and the sun went 10 steps backward to prove to him that God hears when you pray, when you seek him with all your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There is a word spoken for the you 
in your current condition and there is a promise spoken for the you that you can become and it's up to you to get between the two a woman came after Jesus and pleaded with him because her daughter was demon possessed and she was from a foreign country a culture of false gods and paganism and this Syrophoenician woman pounded after Jesus Lord have mercy on my daughter have mercy on my daughter and what does the Bible tell us Jesus paid her no attention at all and finally when she became such a nuisance he turned around and he said to her woman I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel it is not proper for me to take the children's bread and toss it to the little dogs he said I'm here to help these monotheists I'm here to help my people the peculiar people who worship Yahweh their God and him only and you you're a little dog biting on the outside and what did the woman say he has just spoken a word is he does he say I am Yahweh and I change constantly no I change not but if you'll change you'll get the promises destined for this category instead of the judgments destined for this one she says yes Lord but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the children's table and he goes woman she's not a dog anymore great is your faith I have not found such great faith in all of Israel go let it be done for you as you have asked she came as a dog but she got the promise of a daughter amen God didn't change his mind she changed her position you can change your position tonight Amen. God has a promise for you. Get out of this category and get over here in the realm of blessing, in the realm of answered prayer, in the realm of power, in the realm of glory. Get over here.